welcome to the Pemberley Podcast, where we discuss Jane Austen and historical romance adaptations. I'm Jillian. I'm Yolanda. Let's dive in with a quote from Shonda Rhimes' book, Year of Yes. Dreams are lovely, but they are just dreams. Fleeting, ephemeral, pretty. But dreams do not come true just because you dream them. It's hard work that makes things happen. It's hard work that creates change. That really launches us nicely into this series of Queen Charlotte because... This first episode is really all about what you think is going to be a fairy tale ending, but no, it's going to be a long, hard path for Charlotte and a lot of hard work. Even though we're only talking about the first episode today, I'll be very frank and say I binged all six episodes of this in one day. Wow. <laughs> I really liked this. Nice. I have always been like a princess content lover. If you've ever seen Marie Antoinette from the 2006 movie where it's all, I think that was my first movie where I saw a princess go from one country where she was, it was chill and it was fine. And then she went to a much bigger, much more powerful country's court and became their queen. And it was really hard and really unbearable. There were a lot of Marie Antoinette vibes in here. So this week we're diving into our discussion of Queen Charlotte episode one. This is technically a limited series, but hopefully this is season one of many more. We'll talk about the queen-to-be and the wedding day, the present-day Queen Charlotte's woes, and the meet-cute between King George and Queen Charlotte. We'll also provide facts behind the fashion of Charlotte's whalebone bodice, and tell the real story behind this very real royal wedding. Also, if you like listening to our show, please consider leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts. That'll help us to reach new fans. To set the table a little bit, this series is a prequel and an expansion of the Bridgerton verse. It's written by Shonda Rhimes. The story shows the beginnings of Queen Charlotte and King George, along with the impact their marriage had on the tone. When we open up with the first episode, we get a note. It's read by Lady Whistledown, but I think it's kind of a note from the writers to us saying, this is mostly a work of fiction. It is very much inspired by real people and real events, but what you are witnessing is not a documentary. It's a fictional interpretation of nonfiction. I love finding real Easter egg moments that happened in real life in here because it's just so fun. <laughs> yeah. We'll also see present day and past woes of Queen Charlotte, Lady Danbury, and Violet Bridgerton. So even though this is focused on Queen Charlotte, we are still going to get the key characters that we still love from Bridgerton. I'll say that I also went to the LA premiere of this show, which was very exciting. A lot of fans there. And there was a panel with Shonda Rhimes, the director, Tom Verica, and some of the cast. One of the key things that really stood out to me was Shonda has said, like, she looks back on a lot of her shows and all she can really see is the flaws in what she could have done better or what she should have changed or things she could have adjusted and that sort of thing. And this is the first show that she watched back and said, if I retire tomorrow, I'll be fine. So that is really a testament to not only where to where Shonda is in her career, but how she feels about this writing-wise and story-wise of what she's been able to accomplish with these characters. Shonda's really the one who pushed this series uphill because yeah. it's been a beloved book series for a long time. I think it came out in the early 2000s and it's mass market paperback, which doesn't typically get the sort of TV film treatment the way that more critically acclaimed books get. Yeah. It's, I think, 
what a lot of people thought of as smut in its truest form, (laughs) which is why it was equal parts so popular and so undesirable to adapt. And Shonda just took the series and really advocated for it and really made it her own and and made it into this beautiful world that we know and love. But she didn't like show run that series. That was Chris Van Dusen. And so the fact that she kind of wanted to create this new storyline out of our familiar world and she oversaw it herself and was so proud of it, I think is really cool. Yeah. And again, this is not a history lesson. It is not historical. There's elements inspired by history, but there's lots of creative liberties taken. So with that, let's dive into really the first big event of this episode, which is history in the making. Charlotte's brother Adolphus, we see him signing the betrothal contract and off 17-year-old Charlotte goes to London to marry the King of England. She, of course, is very upset with this. Who wouldn't be when you are just going to be whisked away from your homeland and set to marry someone you haven't even met? But Adolphus is like, we're not going to challenge the British Empire. They picked you, and I'm going to pretend I'm cool with that. So. <laughs> it's such an interesting conversation. I, I actually really love this scene because... Charlotte and Adolphus are alone in a carriage and she is very stiff. Like she's in a beautiful, gorgeous dress and is just in such a weird position. And he's like, why aren't you moving? And she's (laughs) like, because if I move, my corset will impale me and the sapphire necklace will pinch me and cut me and tear me apart. Like she's literally constrained by this gorgeous, intricate dress, but it's also like a death trap, which I feel like is a beautiful metaphor for the life she's headed towards. Yeah. So Charlotte arrives after a long journey, and she is taken in to be inspected, really, by the king's mother. It's supposed to be like, here's a formal meet and greet, but really she's like inspecting her like some kind of show dog. She's like checking her teeth. She's checking like her hips. Uh, She's circling around her. And then she has the audacity to take her thumb and like, wipe charlotte's face as if checking like oh is that is that the brown is that like her shade of brown later in a private circle of the king's mother maybe some of the other palace members they are discussing the fact that she's very brown and they are concerned with how brown she is and will the palace be okay with this but the queen king's mother is like we're going to say we're okay with it so it's going to be okay it has echoes i think of a lot of what's come out about prince harry and Meghan. As far as like discussing their children, you know, we have some similarities here. I wonder if Shonda kind of pulled from that in a way too. It's interesting to see how she's introducing this issue that comes up, which is a big part of Bridgerton, which was like these two sides that have never mixed before are now going to mix and they're going to be part of all one society. They are never included, even though they have money, they have estates. But this is an unprecedented marriage, and so they have unprecedented expectations now on what's going to be normalized. Yeah, it's a really big talking point uh, in Bridgerton that we kind of get to see happen. Like, it happens in this room. The Dowager Princess is, I I think what's happening is she's really afraid of of the people thinking she made a mistake by bringing in Princess Charlotte. So she's like, all right, this t- it's time to integrate everybody. It's time <laughs> to make all the separate pockets of the tone one tone. And so they really start integration that day. Like that Charlotte's day. coming in in her carriage for the wedding later that day. She is like, 
shoot, it's only white people who are coming to the wedding. We should have more of the Queen's Court coming. And so invitations are dispersed all over London to all the other non-white members of the Tone. They've basically been living like they have money, but they don't have access to the same parties or modiste or just events like everyone kind of keeps to themselves. So on this day, the Queen dispatches many invitations to the new members of the Tone. They don't even know that they are about to be members of the Tone, but the Queen sends out invitations and this is where we meet Mrs. Danbury. She's not even Lady Danbury yet. And I just can't imagine so many people getting invitations for a royal wedding like six hours before the wedding. And then I also can't imagine the palace shuffling to make room for everybody and make more food and set up more tables and stuff like that. And so everyone arrives, even though Lady Dan- now, well, Mrs. Danbury is confused. She's like, why are we invited? She actually gets a glimpse of Charlotte from up above. And so she's like, oh, this is like a new day. This is something that's like going to create a huge impact on us. And they immediately see that impact when the Dowager Princess comes up to her and her husband and just casually drops the titles on them. She's like, oh, so good to see you. Lord Danbury, and you too, Lady Danbury. And they're like, whoa, this is a huge thing because with titles comes an estate. This is definitely a new day in the tone for all of them. So our thoughts on this, the mixing of the two sides again was mentioned in the main series of Bridgerton, but now we're seeing the literal moment it happens and it seems to go over fine. Like there's not a huge scandal, like sure, Both sides are kind of looking at each other and seeing maybe who's going to say what. But I think because, again, it's a direct thing from the palace, no one's going to question it. So I think there's reason enough for for everyone to stay quiet about it. It's this weird thing where everyone's like, okay, happy to be here. What do you want? (laughs) What are you doing here? But it's from above, so we're not going to admit that we have no idea what's going on. yeah. If a royal invitation came to me even an hour beforehand, I would drop everything. I would go. (laughs) Everything. Everything, everything. I I wouldn't even... I think I would just spend half that time panicking about what to wear. Because what do you wear to a royal wedding? I don't think I have anything appropriate. No, no. (laughs) You would just have to go to a fancy store, buy something, be assured that they have a generous return policy. Go, because I, I think about the, the you're right, like Harry and Meghan's wedding is the sort of most recent example that we have of a royal wedding. Yeah. In my mind, I'm picturing what George and Amal Clooney were wearing and the guys from Suits, what they were wearing and, and their wives and, and plus ones, what well, they were wearing. They had months, maybe weeks, hopefully, to prepare for that. So even I'm, still, I think a six hour notice, I mean, her lady's maid for Lady Danbury is like... The modiste is on her way. She's not going to make a new dress, but we'll make do with what you have. <laughs> no, and like, just imagine, because, you know, thing, everything that we have today can be very instantaneous with technology and transportation. I can't, I feel like six hours in the 1700s is the equivalent of our one hour time frame. Yes. <laughs> to like find something suitable to wear and, and get your butt over to the palace and the church. Very true. Let's dive in with a quick segment to talk about the fashion behind Charlotte's whalebone bodice. Women using corsets or bodices goes back to the Middle Ages, 
In those times, it would be tightly laced bodices stiffened with paste, but then as voyagers traveled the Atlantic, they discovered whalebone as firmer foundation. Whalebone is not literal bone, but a material found in the upper jaws of baleen whales made of keratin, which is also found in human fingernails, skin, and hair. It's hard yet flexible and could be cut into narrow strips. So imagine if you literally touch your fingernail right now, think that material where it's like hard and yet somewhat flexible. It was prepared by boiling the keratin ribs for 12 hours until it was soft enough to cut into the desired length. In the 18th century, it was used to create a more pronounced hourglass figure. It was literally the bones of the structure of the bodice. So a lot of it was pre-shaped to give you that desired effect. And a lot of modern bodices or corsets today do not have that pre-shaping. It's more just for the aesthetic or the look of it. This material was also used for chimney sweep brushes, walking sticks, telescopes, and even shavings were used for upholstery. So it was the new hot material to use in all of the things. Of course, over time, they realized how unethical it was to harvest whales and, and kill whales. So even though Charlotte was in the height of fashion wearing this whalebone bodice, no longer exists today. So that's some of the history behind Charlotte's whalebone bodice. Now let's go into the next event of this episode, which is Charlotte and George actually meeting. She is swept off her feet and she will fall to the ground. We saw Charlotte trying to escape her wedding and she is currently trying to escape by climbing the garden wall and seeing if she can literally go beyond the palace walls and run where? Who knows? Germany. <laughs> yeah, maybe she'll run back to Germany. But at this point, a handsome young man asks what she's doing. I believe I can make it over the garden wall. You want me to lift you over the wall so you may escape? That is what I said, yes. People will notice you are missing, will they not? I shall worry about that later. Now, if you please, I just need a little help. Come, make haste. I have absolutely no intention of helping you. I am a lady in distress. You refuse to help a lady in distress. I refuse when that lady in distress is trying to go over a wall so that she does not have to marry me. He... Oh God, he's so hot. <laughs> he is just so smooth and he is so good at de-escalating situations. Like, I, I mean, think... Yeah, he flatters her. He calls her beautiful. He, like, is vulnerable with her. He levels with her. And he understands, like, this is both, like, new territory for both of them. Like, they're both entering a situation that was unexpected. They're both nervous. And he's like, so why don't we just do it together? And so that really puts her at ease of, like, okay, fine. I'll go through with this. Her whole thing is, and she even says it, she's like, I don't really care what he looks like. I don't really care what his deal is. It's the not knowing that's killing me. Yeah. And now that she sees him, she says that he's really cute and really charming and really vulnerable and, and just like a, such a complex smoothie. She's, you know, like, okay, I'll do this. I'll marry you. And there's yeah. even a, a moment where her brother runs up and he's like, where are you? Where have you been? And then he's like, oh my gosh, the king. Hello, the king. And and he's so chill. He's like, Charlotte was just deciding whether or not she wants to marry yeah. me. And her brother is like, oh, she for sure. He's like, no, not you, her. Yeah. And it is this small moment where we see that he values her opinion and he yeah. values... You know, like, maybe in this instance, it's, like, what she thinks of him. He does care. Like, I really believe if she had been like, I can't do this, he would shut it down for her. Who knows? I think he he's playing his part. He's playing his part of what he needs to do to get her 
to the altar, which we'll really see later. Charlotte arrives at her ceremony wearing the gown that she wants to wear, that she brought. So she is fully presenting herself as who she is, not as the person that the Dowager Princess wants her to be, not who her brother wants her to be, but as herself, which is a really great moment. And she has her natural hair out instead of having it back in like a tight pony like they had it. So they have a beautiful ceremony, a grand reception with drinks and dancing, and it's the end of the very long day and and a long night. George tells Charlotte he has a surprise, and the surprise is a whole house. I don't even know if I should call it a house. It is a mansion. It is... I don't know. (laughs) Well, the funny thing is they call it Buckingham House, but nowadays we know it as Buckingham Palace. Right. So she gets a palace. Yes. He's like, surprise! The twist here is, though, that it is just hers, where she will live without George. He will live in Kew, and she will live there. And Charlotte is like, but it is our wedding night. So should I go to Q? And he says, no, you will be here. So are you coming here? No, I will be in Q. And it's like this back and forth of like, so what's happening? What I, I thought we were supposed to be together. It's our wedding night. Now we're seeing a new side of George. We saw him earlier as this very charming, vulnerable person. But now he is very angry and defensive. And it is like, no, 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 this is the way it needs to be. And this is the way I want it to be. There's no option. <laughs> he yells at her and it says, I am your king. It is gross. We don't like it. He was able to bring Charlotte out a little bit and kind of let her not be so formal with him. But then she kind of shuts back in and is very formal with, with George. She bows and she calls him your majesty. So he is no longer just George. He's lost that cred that he had built up with her earlier of being literally Prince Charming, you know, just being an easygoing, like he was like a friend to her. Yeah. And suddenly he is her king. He switched on a dime and now he's making orders. She kind of knows what to expect for her wedding night. She doesn't really actually know what to expect. Right. She just kind of knows it's expected of them to share this night together. And she's like, we sleep over. You know, she's being kept away from a lot of people. She is being taken away from the only home in the country that she's ever known. She, even though she's like English in the show, she's technically German. This should all be new language and new ceremonies and new formalities that she's not used to. She's 17 years old, which is just so young. She's just been married. She doesn't know what to expect from her new life. All she knows is this new guy who she thought she kind of liked is turning on a dime, Has a, is a completely different person. He's demanding that she stay here. This is a very dick move of him to suddenly exercise his power as the king over her. Yeah. Because he's king to everyone else. And I think he wants to be a nice guy and he wants to be relatable. And I think in many ways he kind of is. But he was raised to be the king. And so at some point, if people are questioning him and they're not happy with him, guess what? He's like, I'm the king. You have to do as I say, including the queen. She can also wield that power, but I don't think she knows how much she can wield it yet. This is all very new to her. And now the kind of one maybe person she would have had on the inside wants nothing to do with her that's what she feels is she's like oh great we got married and we're never going to see each other again you're gonna be there i will be here and she has this very real moment at the end of the night where she's like i should have gone over the wall but now she's stuck she's really really stuck she's in a gilded cage yes 
I will say with Charlotte and the back and forth with her and George of like, but we're supposed to spend the night together. I thought of the viral Barbie clip between Margot Robbie and Ryan Gosling. I thought I might stay over tonight. Why? Because we're girlfriend, boyfriend. To do what? I'm actually not sure. That is essentially the conversation that happened. <laughs> it is exactly what happened. And I, I love that for her. She has a, a Barbie understanding of what her wedding night yes. is. <laughs> Or a Ken-level understanding. Yes, Ken-level. How would we react to this whole situation? I'm trying to imagine myself at 17. You've left home. You're in this big palace all by yourself. You have no idea of, like, the culture here, the expectations, what your role is. Like, how do you even get in that mindset? And how do you think you would react? I think I was up with Charlotte up until like, aren't we supposed to spend this night together? You know, like trying to like not tell the King of England what to do, but yes. also being like, this feels like not what anyone prepared me <laughs> yeah. for. And as soon as he would yell, like, I am your king, I'm pretty sure I would have burst into I tears. <laughs> I don't think I, I would have. Like she ice cold yes. is how she turns. She's very composed. Very composed. And she's like, fine, it's going to be like that. Then that's how it's going to be. I would have immediately started crying and blubbering and being Yes. Okay. You hate me. Yeah. I think, yeah, she did not cry herself to sleep like I would have done. (laughs) She did not, like, wail and be like, Brimsley, take me back to Germany. Adolphus, please. Yeah. I would have, I think I would have tried to escape again. Like, I would have been like, all right, first attempt to jump over the wall didn't work. Let's do this again. Sneak out in the middle of the night, grab a bag, try to run anywhere. Yeah, just take as many, because I'm sure she doesn't have, like, money on her. But hello, she's in a palace. Take anything. Grab all the jewels. Grab all the diamonds. Exactly. (laughs) Grab all the jewels. Go exchange them for money the very next day. Clean out. She'll probably have to clean out however many different, like you know, cash for gold places that I'm sure are labeled on the street <laughs> yeah, corners sure. yeah. of uh, of 19th century England. And then, yeah, just like book passage. It's, it's It would be a long process, but I think we have a plan. <laughs> I would have, I mean, literally, the, the way that I would demand a map of Europe <laughs> and like chart my journey, like we're in Anastasia, just kind of like taking yes. trains and walking across Europe. That would be my only plan. I think I would cry for the night. <laughs> calm down after a couple days and then have a very home alone approach to it of being like, I'm in a palace all by myself. I'm in a palace all by myself. <laughs> and be like, yay. And you know of- what? That's something that hasn't been explored in the media. of Like the, the lonely princess slash queen being like, you know what? We're going to make this work for me. Yes. We're going to make this what it has to be. And and have, you know, install a giant slide for mattress surfing. Yes, exactly. Um, all those Princess Diaries, too, of course. Just make the best out of it. Or run. There's two options. There's two great options. Fight or flight, yes. <laughs> <laughs> and it's interesting because we obviously know, because of the present day Bridgerton series and because of history, we know that King George will get worse. But here we don't see what's going on with him yet. He's just fully hiding, blocking Charlotte out so she doesn't get any closer than she already has. He has some kind of unknown mental illness. And it's a big deal because he's the king. It's a big deal because mental illness was not even anything that anyone considered back then. There was no cure for anything. It was just trying to hide it. We'll see more of it. So let's dive into some of the history behind this story and talk about the real royal wedding. 
17-year-old Charlotte of Mecklenburg-Sturlitz was chosen as King George III's bride because, being the daughter of a prince and a brother who's a duke, they thought she wouldn't be interested in politics, so why not her? In July 1761, 23-year-old King George III sent a party to Sturlitz to escort his soon-to-be bride to London. It consisted of two duchesses, who would be her ladies of the bedchamber, proxy for the king, a bedchamber woman, a general, and a lord who was commander of the squadron. The town of Sturlitz threw a celebration for three days before Charlotte and party left for London on August 17th. They arrived in London on September 8th. So it was a long trip, but that same night that she arrived, the procession entered the royal chapel around 10 p.m. I would have been so exhausted. Exhausted. So the queen wore white and silver and an endless mantle of violet-covered velvet. She wore a tiara of diamonds, a diamond necklace, and a stomacher, the front section of a bodice, of diamonds worth three score thousand pounds. So, pounds to dollars, what is three score thousand pounds? Score being 20, three times 20 would be 60, so 60,000 pounds. Today, that would be 10.3 million pounds or 12.8 million US dollars. Wow. Just on that front section of her dress alone. So that's not her jewelry. That's not the mantle. That's not the crown. That is the stomacher on the front of her dress. Yes. Wow. She was led to the altar where she had 10 bridesmaids and the Archbishop of Canterbury officiated the ceremony. King George III presented his bride with expensive gifts, including pearl bracelets, a diamond cross necklace, earrings, diamond rings, and more. Queen Charlotte was very tired, of course, so they greeted the guests, excused themselves from the banquet, and had a private supper instead. What was said at that private supper, we will never know. From what we've read, they were a very in-love couple. They had 15 children, and he never took a mistress. That's like the big fact about him. Such a proud thing to (laughs) to be proud of, I don't know. Weirdly, for these like entitled monarchs who can just have anything at the snap of a finger, I'll give it to him. That's, That's pretty sweet of you to not cheat on your wife. Something that's really interesting about this series is it's a little The Godfather Part 2, Mamma Mia Part 2, where in addition to really seeing what happened in the past, we're flashing to our present day. And this is actually based uh, on fact. The royal family is encountering a succession crisis. So in present day, it's we have like older Queen Charlotte. She is awoken in the middle of the night to the news that the Princess Royal and her baby have died in childbirth. So her oldest son, who would eventually become George IV, had the only legitimate royal child at this time. And she was a young woman named Princess Charlotte as well. And so the crown is no longer secure. So she gathers and addresses her 15 children who kind of crack me up because... Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think when you have so many children, and 15 is so many, you know, I think a lot of them are suffering from not getting enough attention as growing (laughs) up. And also, like, kind of weirdly, like, all their needs are met, but their needs are not really met. Yeah. It's like, it seems to me like her daughter's either like didn't get married, or some of them are married and just haven't had children yet. Yeah. Her son's have congratulations produced like upwards of 50 illegitimate heirs and she lectures them for not making royal babies. I mean, we've seen in the Bridgerton series that Queen Charlotte's priorities are really like 
maintaining the prestige of the throne and keeping George George's state a secret from everyone. And also she's very concerned with like Lady Whistledown and everything that's going on there. But now she's we're seeing this other side of Charlotte and what's actually going on in her own personal life, which we're like, oh, you have all these kids and you none of them are are either not married or not having babies. So this is now her new priority. This is priority number one for her. There's also the most popular quote that is, I think, that's come out of this series, which is Charlotte saying, sorrows, sorrows, and prayers <laughs> to her poor son, who is experiencing a great loss, and she just repeatedly says, sorrows, sorrows, prayers. <laughs> I love that, and I'm going to adopt it into my own life. Yes. Whenever people are sad, and I'm not as sad for them. Although... <laughs> Uh, I, I've read some sources that say in real life the queen was very she loved her granddaughter very much mm. and was very actually devastated when she died. And something else that's worth noting is one of the sources of this succession crisis is that her kids aren't young anymore. They yeah. are not debutantes. They are not about to come out into society. They are deeply into their thirties, their forties, their twenty. You know, fifteen years spans kind of a long time, and so. She's kind of putting a lot of pressure on her daughters who are older at this point to produce heirs because they're married. Or her sons who can, of course, produce heirs at any age they right. want to have their relations with their wives yes. <laughs> instead of these um, non-royal women that they are having relations with. And it must be crazy because she was one person who produced 15 children and to have now 15 children and they can't produce one royal baby at this point, that is pretty crazy. Well, that is her thing. That's her argument. She's like, I did it. Yeah. I did it 15 times. <laughs> you can just do it once between all 15 of you. Just one baby. So it is. that is going to be a big point of contention between her and her children throughout this series. Thanks for listening. Tune in next week as we discuss... Queen Charlotte episode two. We will see if the queen has made any headway in our present day succession crisis. Will Charlotte and George make up after their major fight and she banished him to Q? Will Brimsley ever stop following the queen around like a lost puppy? <laughs> no. In the meantime, you can follow us on Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, and support us on Patreon at The Pemberley. And you can email us with any comments or questions at thepemberleypodcast at gmail.com. 